It's never about how much money you make, and it's always about how much money you keep. Taxes are one of Americans' largest personal expenses, and in this episode, I sit down with Isaac Weinberger to make sure you as an investor are capitalizing on all of your tax benefits so that you can, in some cases, make all your gains tax-free. This is the Passive Real Estate Strategies Podcast, where we educate career-driven individuals who have tapped out their earning potential, learn about passive real estate investing so you can continue building your wealth without compromising your time or taking on more responsibilities. I'm your host and managing partner at Realm Investors, a multifamily syndication group who has helped multiply millions of dollars for our passive investors. Thanks for tuning in and let's get on with the show. Hey investors, welcome back to another episode of Passive Real Estate Strategies. Today, I am sitting down with Isaac Weinberger. Now, Isaac is a specialist at cost segregation. Now, that might be a term you've heard in the past and you might know it it saves you money and it gets incredible tax benefits, but Isaac's really going to walk us through exactly what is cost segregation, why it's important for real estate investors to really understand this process and at the end of the day, utilize it. So Isaac, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It's a tremendous honor to be on air. Every time I come onto a podcast and show or a real estate event, um, I appreciate the opportunity. I remember my uh, humble beginnings and uh, thank you, Justin, for the for the opportunity. Yeah, no, it, it's great to have you here and we're excited to learn more. So tell us you know, about what you do and how long you've been doing it. Absolutely. So I work for a company called Madison Specs. Madison Specs is a division of Madison Title. Madison Title started over 25 years ago. We're one of the largest title insurance shops in the nation. We have uh, offices all over the states. And then the principal actually owned 5,000 units. And he's like, hey, I'm outsourcing for cost seg and 1031 and due diligence. And he just decided to open up sister companies under the same roof. And cost seg um, over here really blew up. We have 200 employees. I've been doing this over here at Madison for a few years, and it's just been a, a tremendous journey, really connecting with many, many folks from the real estate space, retail guys, development guys, multifamily guys, mobile home park guys. It's exciting every single day. It's just another exciting day at the, at the wheel. Yeah. So tell us about cost seg. You know, what exactly is that and, and why do the listeners need to understand what it is? Absolutely. So I always like to start off like this. It used to be that cost seg was just a side benefit in real estate investing, um, like the cherry on top. It's like similar to, I don't know if anybody knows about hotels, there's this like ERC credit that's going around that during COVID you had to lay off employees, you could get these big credits. And that's like just like a cherry on top, but it doesn't go into the actual underwriting and the actual uh, OM and deal deck when you send it out to potential investors. Cost seg used to be like that, but over the last few years, cost segregation became such a vital component of real estate investing that if you look at deal decks and you look at OMs, many times the syndicators will actually talk about how much depreciation they will be obtaining through a cost seg study. And that's really the question. The question is, why is cost segregation so important? What is cost segregation? So let's start off like that, like Justin asked. Every time you buy an investment property, you're entitled to something called regular depreciation. You buy a $1 million multifamily property, you will get $30,000 a year approximately over the course of 27 and a half years 
as a tax deduction. And you may ask, hey, Isaac, that's nice, but why? Most of the reason why we're in real estate, or a big part is because of appreciation. The properties go up in value. They don't go down. And the answer is that Congress views that your property is going down in value due to the fact that it's older. So you're really benefiting from both sides of the coin. You're benefiting from the property because it's going up in value. And you're also benefiting because you're gaining from depreciation benefits. $30,000 a year is great. So this is the question that I'll ask you. Say, Justin, I owe you 100 bucks, and I give you two options, either to take the 100 bucks over the 10, over 10 years, 10 bucks a year, or to take 25 bucks in year one, and then the remaining $75 over the following nine years. Obviously, you're going to take 25 in year one because a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. Yep. So let me take that extra cash and I don't know, invest it. Same idea over here. Cost segregation in a nutshell, in just a simplified form um, of understanding, is just accelerating your depreciation. So on the same million-dollar investment property, you would be able to take anywhere from 150 to 250 depending on what asset type we're dealing with on year one. And obviously, if you're getting hit with a tax bill or your partners or your spouse or your investors, you can gain tremendously by offsetting your tax bill earlier on using that excess cash to reinvest in more real estate. And that's what the real estate world calls time value money. Would you like me, Justin, to explain how the process works? Yeah, let's let's explain the process on a, on a pretty high level. So, but to, just to recap, essentially what happens is you have this almost straight line depreciation, right? So what is, let's call it, you know, $30,000 a year, I think you said. So as long as you own this property at 27 and a half years, you can take a $30,000 essential paper loss on it, right? So for anybody who's listening, okay, your, your building does deteriorate the paint, the flooring, the carpet, you got to replace all these things at some point. So it's a paper loss. But what you're saying is we will be able to just shove more of that up front, front load your loss. So essentially, like you said, it's your money. It's just, you're getting it sooner now rather than spread out over a longer period of time. So you're not, yes, you're getting more, but you're getting more faster. It's not like it was yours anyways. It's just whether it's spread out over 30 years or or throughout the first few years. Is that right? Exactly. You said it uh, perfectly. Perfect. So yeah, let's explain a little bit about how, how it happens. And if you're listening and you're a passive investor, I think this is really good for you to understand too, because even though your operators might be handling this for you, it's really good to see what's going on behind the scenes and also to ask questions about cost seg and really be able to vet different sponsors and make sure that they're utilizing this tool as well. So yeah, explain to us exactly how the process works, what kind of studies or reports are done and really how they evaluate these things. Absolutely. So no, it's, it's definitely a great point that people have to understand because many times people ask me, they're like, hey, Isaac, you seem like a nice guy. Why should I go ahead and sign a $5,000 contract? Maybe I could just do it myself. What are you doing in a cost segregation study that I can't do? And the answer is as follows. Every single property is made up of three different components. There's something called the five-year bucket, something called the 15-year bucket, and something called the 27 and a half or 39-year bucket. 27 and a half is for residential and 39 is for commercial. Now, what goes into each bucket? The five-year bucket includes furniture, chandeliers, cabinetry, flooring, all those types of items depreciate over a period of five years. Then there's the 15-year bucket, which is land improvements. That's parking lots, landscaping, et cetera. That depreciates over 15 years. 
And then in the last bucket of 27 and a half and 39 year depreciation, which is the long-term bucket, that's the actual building. A regular accountant throws all three under long-term depreciation because he does not know how to segregate it properly. Not because he's not good. Sure, he's an amazing accountant, but he's just not a licensed cost segregation engineer to be able to understand every single dollar that could possibly be taken on certain type of components. Therefore, we come in as a cost set company, we identify all the five and 15 year components. Once we identify all the five and 15 year components, that will allow you to take that over a faster track. That's what happened up until the year 2017. In September of 2017, Congress implemented a tremendous tax savings bonus onto cost segregation, which allowed for real estate operators and investors to take all five and 15 year components on year one. So now listen up for a second. I go ahead and I go into the property and I find 20% of the purchase price as five and 15 year components. Purchased it for a million bucks, I find 200 grand worth of five and 15 year components. Technically, prior to 2017, I could take it over a five and 15 year track, which will help me. But bonus depreciation actually added a tremendous benefit, which I call a cost segregation on steroids that allows you to take all five and 15 year components on year one. Up until 2023, we'll get to that, what, what changed about bonus depreciation soon. But so if I come into a property and identify five and 15, 20% of that, you take all that on year one, which will be a $200,000 write-off in year one, which is tremendous, as opposed to the classic $30,000 write-off for multifamily. And if it's commercial, it'll be even less than the $30,000 write-off. So definitely, definitely beneficial uh, thing to do. And so that, yeah, I was going to ask too, is this the same as bonus depreciation or how they differ? And so, you know, so people are really taking these massive write-offs pretty quickly. And I, I will go back to what you said where before it was kind of an afterthought, the cost segregation, the depreciation. And, and now you're seeing probably over the last year and a half or two years where people would now say, hey, we're seeing, you know, a 20% write-off of, of year one or, you know, 30% year one. They'll advertise these things and say from your investment amount, you know, you're going to get a, you know, t- typically 20% is kind of a fair place. You see, you might see up to 50% if they're doing a bonus, but it's something that people will consider. And from a tax perspective, if that person's not a real estate professional, does that law still go against their earned income from a W-2 job? Tremendous and uh, important point. Real estate professional versus not real estate professional. A real estate professional is somebody who spends 750 hours a year or more in real estate. Now, if you're on a W-2 income, generally, you're not going to be able to file as reps, real estate professional status, because the IRS is like, hey, you're working from nine to five. Where the hell are you going ahead and finding 750 hours a year? But let's say you're not a, uh, on a nine to five job and you're managing a few properties, you invest in a few properties. You got to speak to your CPA. It's very possible you will be a real estate professional. Now, what are the benefits of being a real estate professional? The benefits are that you can offset ordinary income. You can offset any income. If you are a real estate professional and you're doing Amazon on the side and you're making 200 grand a year, you can offset that income. You can offset a spouse's W-2 income if you file jointly. So when you're a real estate professional, it's a no-brainer with cost like. But if you are a passive investor and you're not a real estate professional, how can it benefit you? And the answer is like this. First of all, check with your accountant. Maybe there is some way he could file you as a real estate professional. But if he can't, you can offset only passive proceeds. Passive proceeds do not just mean 
are not just limited to that specific investment that you put a hundred grand into. Passive proceeds can mean stock market proceeds. You have money in the S&P 500, you have money in Tesla, money in Apple. All those proceeds are considered passive proceeds and you can offset that any other K1s, any other investments you may have. If your spouse is a passive partner in your business, that's called passive proceeds. So you definitely could benefit tremendously. I've done a lot of work for passive uh, partners, passive people who are getting stuff and they have only, they have single family houses on the side and they use that to offset their passive income. So it's definitely tremendous. And I just want to get into to channel in for a second to what Justin mentioned before, how uh, many times the syndicators are actually offering in the deal decks, hey, this is what you're going to get per the amount of equity, per the amount of capital that you deploy into our deal, you're going to get this. And many, many syndicators are actually leveraging their depreciation because there's something called partnership agreement terms where you can give away portions of your depreciation to other people in the deal. So let's say you have George and he is not benefiting from Egg because he has no tax bill or he's not a real estate professional. He has no passive proceeds. He can give away portions of his depreciation to somebody who will benefit more. So syndicators are leveraging their depreciation uh, to offer potential investors higher depreciation returns per dollar invested, per dollar invested in other deals. Something to keep note both for the syndicators and for the investors. Yeah. And one thing about the real estate professional status is I know, especially when I heard of that uh, a little bit back, I said, oh my God, that's fantastic. Why doesn't everybody just do this? It is definitely one that they check a little more hardcore. Uh, it's, you know, that's that kind of that tightrope that I don't know if you necessarily want to walk. If you have a full-time job, full-time earnings at a W2, it is rare to get it. And if you file for it, you know, you, you, what I've heard is you expose yourself a little bit more to them coming down or saying, well, let's take a look at this because the tax benefits are so astounding. If they weren't strict on it, everybody would do it. I'll get my real estate license and I, you know, I spend this amount of time on real estate professional. So, you know, just decide if that's, if that's for you, but either way, you're going to offset those gains. That's why a lot of times we talk about, Hey, a lot of times your passive income is tax-free and it's not because it's tax-free just because the government says, Hey, fantastic. Good for you. It's because there's rules like this that allow you to offset that. And so it's really, you hear too, a lot of people, a lot of influencers in different investing space, looking for ways to turn active income into passive income, whether it's actual or whether it's on paper, because they know they can take this depreciation expense. And now that they're no longer you know, quote unquote, working for this money, it's passive. They can now use this to leverage and offset that income. So yeah, definitely an enormous tool that if you're a passive investor, you should make sure your operators are taking advantage of. Ask them if they're doing bonus depreciation. If not, that's fine, but just ask why, what's the strategy with it? And now explain to us what happens over the course of the deal. So let's say you do take you know, your bonus in, in year one and you kind of eat away a considerable amount of that. Does that make less sense as a strategy if the plan is to hold the property for 30 plus years? Or what are you seeing people do for long-term holds? Absolutely. It's a great point. So many times when I get on to calls with potential prospects, the prospects, they'll tell me, hey, I don't want to take everything in year one. I'm going to have nothing left over for the following, I don't know, 27 and a half, 26 years. And the answer is like this, the same example that I gave that I owed you a hundred bucks and you're taking 25 in year one, you still have 75 remaining for the following nine years. Many times, if I get a client 20% of the purchase price, they're still left with 80% of the purchase price to depreciate over the following 26 and a half years, which if you look at the proposal that we send out, you'll see it's a very, very small and minimal difference 
after year one. Year one, you'll get 200 and without cost saying you'll get 30. And then the following 26 and a half years, you'll get $24,000 a year in depreciation as opposed to 30. So there's a very small difference. And obviously the higher you go, the more of a difference there will be, but it's not like we're giving you 50% in year one. But if you think about it for a second, just, just to, on the flip side, let's say mobile home parks, when, when they're park owned homes, they could get 50 to 75, 90% of the purchase price. If you and your partners are getting hit with, with taxes and you have something to utilize that depreciation against, I say that it's still worth it because take it all, get the huge write-off, get free up a tremendous amount of capital that you would have given to the IRS. And very nice, I won't be getting depreciation benefits over the following years, but I could do more with it today than I would be able to do with it over time. So those are both sides of the coin. Hey, investor, really quickly, if you're enjoying the show, please, please, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on the platform you're listening on. It really does help us reach more people just like you who want to build their wealth without taking on more responsibility or sacrificing more hours. It's one of the greatest compliments a podcaster like me can receive. Thank you so much in advance. Yeah, I, I like that thought too, because again, it's time value of money. So yes, the money is owed to you. You're going to get the money over the 30-year period, but who knows what happens over 30 years, right? And so you might as well take a, take a lot of that up front and, and make sure you really get it. So is that something that is left on the table? You know, let's say somebody decides not to do the bonus and they say, yeah, you know, I'd rather have a straight line, you know, 30 years. And they end up selling the deal in, you know, 15 years. Is that second half of their depreciation just gone? Like they don't get to utilize that or is there any way to recapture that? Or what does that scenario look like? It's a great question. And unfortunately, it's really the opposite. Unfortunately, the whole reason, the entire reason why we're entitled as investors to depreciation is the IRS thinks that we're going to hold out to the property for its entire lifespan. Residential 27 and a half years, commercial 39. The second you sell it, you do not have uh, depreciation benefits. And not only do you not have it, the tax liabilities that you got out of will come back. It's very similar to 1031. Just like a 1031, you're not actually erasing your capital gains taxes. What your liability is, what you're doing is you're deferring it and you're kicking the bucket down the road. They call it drop, drop, and uh, swap until you drop. And it, eventually, if you sell the property and you don't 1031 it again, you'll get hit with that capital gain tax. But the reason why it's worth it is because you'd rather pay your tax liability in 2027 than to pay it in 2023. It's similar, uh, same exact thing happens with the 1030 with a cost segregation study. We're deferring your tax liability and we're kicking the bucket down the road. But if you sell it, even after 10 years, you're going to get hit with something called depreciation recapture. But again, it's like what you said earlier, time value money. I would offer you an interest-free loan for four years or five years or 10 years. You would take it. Now, it's not a completely interest-free loan because you're paying five grand or whatever it is for the study, but it's almost an interest-free loan. If you're buying a $5 million property, I'm giving you a million-dollar write-off, and you're hit with a million-dollar tax bill, that means you're saving in your account three, four hundred thousand dollars you can invest in more real estate. You have access by paying $5,000 for study, you have access to $400,000 liquid cash to go ahead and invest. That will produce for you a lot more benefits than the $5,000 you spent. So very nice. I'm going to get keep with that tax liability later on, but that just freed up a lot of cash that I can utilize today. Yeah. And are there strategies? So just like you said with the 1031 exchange, yeah, you're almost kicking that can down the road really until you die. <laughs> is is the goal that, that that tax bill almost didn't just never catches up to you. 
Is there a way to do that for uh, the constant creation as well, where you just you just keep pushing it down, keep pushing it down, keep pushing it down. As long as you stay active in the real estate, stay active investing, you can keep on kicking that can down and then hope one day you just die and kind of your tax liability dies with you. Is that kind of similar to how the 1031 works uh, that, you, that you would use that strategy here? Yes, absolutely. It's actually really funny. I was speaking on a uh, a big mastermind last night and, and, and some of the guys were asking the same question and one, one guy uh, piped up and said, Hey, just die and you won't get hit with a tax liability. <laughs> so everybody had a good laugh. But without dying, we have a different uh, different way out. And that's actually a 1031. This is a great point, Justin. Just like a 1031, you, you could defer your capital gain. So too with cost seg, if you do a cost seg in a property and then you sell it and you're about to get hit with the depreciation recapture, if you had 1031 it into a new property, you will not only can you defer your capital gain, you could defer your cost seg and you will not get hit with depreciation with capture. That is the magic of a 1031. Got it. And so really the goal is to stay active, right? So what could happen is that if you're really kicking this down the road, kicking this down the road, and after a while you stop and say, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I'm not going to buy a new property. I'm not going to exchange anything. I'm not going to get in tax code. You could get hit with a large bill down the road, but the secret to continuing to push that out, literally, yeah, yeah, it's a joke, but really, hey, until you die is to keep active, keep 1031 in your properties and just stay on top of making sure that you're pushing that liability, continuing to push that down the road. Exactly. 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 Yeah, I love it. I love having guests like you on because I think these are such complex concepts that if you're educating yourself on real estate, you might hear them here and there. Maybe you don't quite get it or I'll look into that later. And I think this was a really good episode, really laying out like what it is, why people use it, some of the downsides and considerations as well, right? Where you, you have to exchange them, you have to be smart with your taxes. And it it just shows people how valuable a great CPA and a great cost seg engineer like yourself is to the transaction. It's very difficult for one person to juggle all of these things without a team that really works in these nuances of the tax code every day of their professional lives. So I think this has been a phenomenal episode. Is there any way that people can reach out to you if they have more questions about this, if they want to learn a little bit more and who should maybe reach out and get in touch? Absolutely. And I agree with you, Justin. This has been a phenomenal episode. I've been on many, many podcasts and this was uh, definitely one of the, yes. this was incredible. This was a lot of incredible. You you obviously know know uh, the real estate space, real estate space, which is incredible as well. And thank you again for the opportunity. So I'm I'm very, very active on LinkedIn. Isaac Weinberger, Quasag Isaac, as you guys see. Um, that's what I call myself. It's really switched around. Here it says Isaac Quasag, but it's really Quasag Isaac. I'm happy to provide my email and phone number. And I, I'd happy I'd be happy to talk to each and every one of you, discuss your specific scenarios, preliminary analysis, and uh, walk you through the process. Thank you all for listening. And I uh, hope to uh, connect with you soon. Yeah, perfect. So we're going to put a link to Isaac's LinkedIn. It's probably the best. That's actually how we got connected. Um, so we'll put that in the show notes. And while you're there, if you haven't already, make sure you download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies. All those resources in the show notes. So Isaac, thanks so much for coming on. Well, that's it for today's show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you're looking to learn more about passive real estate investments, make sure you head to our show notes and download our free ebook, the definitive guide to passive real estate strategies. 
where we reveal the ins and outs of the truly passive ways to invest in real estate. We'll see you on the next episode.